Okay. Good morning, good morning. In, in the interest of, um, you know, putting myself out of my uh, nervous misery, I think we'll just get going here, if that's okay. Um, I just want to, I want to clarify, the only rule I was just given was that uh, I'm not allowed to use any curse words up here. Um, so hopefully I can maintain <laughs> that rule. Um, yeah, okay, so good morning. So um, for those of you who might not know who I am, uh, you're probably asking yourself, one, who am I? So I'll, I can answer that pretty easy. My name's Jonathan. Um, my wife Heidi and I have been involved at Elevation for a few years. We kind of uh, joined at a distance during COVID and then uh, have been, had the pleasure of uh, hanging out with the youth group this last, uh, last year as the youth coordinators. Um, and that's a, a commitment we're com uh, continuing into this next year as well. So we've had a lot of fun with that. Uh, some cool facts about me, not much. Um, I have a, a new baby in the back, way up in the air there. Um, yeah, it's, that, that's mostly Heidi, to be honest with you. So not a lot of me in there, luckily. Um, and then, uh, so that, that answers the question. The second question you might be asking yourself is, uh, how qualified is this guy standing up there? It's a fair question. Um, I'm qualified enough in that I have a three-year Bible college education that took me five years to get. So I am, uh, yeah, thank you, <laughs> thank you. So that, that means I'm uh, maybe more qualified than some, but wildly underqualified than most, okay? So that's where we're starting. Uh, ultimately, I have a really hard time saying no to things, uh, especially when those things involve me standing in front of a large group being uncomfortable. And so that's where this came from. Stephen and, Steve and Melissa asked if I would participate in the multi-voiced multi uh, series this week. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that. Um, they asked me a few months ago, and I spent a lot of time humming and hawing uh, what it is I wanted to speak about. And, and ultimately, I spent uh, a, a, a significant amount of time putting together a slideshow that was like super flashy and had videos and fancy transitions, and at one point sang that song from uh, Night at the Roxbury, What is Love? And then two nights ago, I opened it up to take a look at it and realized that I had not saved anything, and it was gone. So uh, because there's not a rule at our house that I'm not allowed to swear there, I may have used uh, a choice word or two um, to explain my frustrations, at which point my wife Heidi said, hey man, you have a daughter now, maybe chill out. Uh, and it got me thinking, actually, uh, about how much time I had spent on that and not enough time like, spent actually thinking about what it was I was going to say. So I've spent the last two days, two nights, uh, not sleeping much, thinking about what it is I wanted to share this morning. And uh, I came up with this. Uh, and I'm hoping that this message uh, at least speaks well enough to say that this guy has a three-year Bible college education that took him five years to get. So I was asked to speak specifically on how wide God's love is. And so I know Kathleen last week shared uh, specifically a passage in Ephesians, which I'm going to share here as well. So this is Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
So we've heard that last week, and so specifically we're going to talk about the part where it says how wide. Awesome. So when I think about this passage, uh, and I'm going to say when I think, but ultimately it was part of the assignment, I was asked to relate it to the story of the prodigal son. Uh, I'm going to assume that for time's sake everyone knows the parable of the prodigal son. Yes? By a show of hands, who's never heard it before? Perfect. I have a video anyways. Um, So this is like a minute and a half explanation. So we'll just go through this quick. There was a father who had two sons. The older son is trustworthy and honors his father. And the younger son, he's a mess. He rebels and cashes in his inheritance to travel far away and blow it all on partying and being stupid. And then there's a famine in the land and he runs out of money. So he has to scrape by by taking care of somebody's pigs. And he's so hungry he wants to eat the pig slop, at which point it occurs to him, if I'm going to be a farmhand, I might as well go home and work for my dad. At least I won't be eating pig food. So he treks back home, rehearsing his apology. Now, the father is certain that his son did not survive the famine. But then, one day, he sees someone walking down the road. It's his son. He's not dead. And so the father runs to him and embraces his son, kissing him all over. The son starts his speech. Dad, I don't deserve to be your son. Maybe I could come and work for you. But before he can finish, the father calls his servants to go get the nicest robe, new sandals, a fancy ring for his son. They are to prepare the best food for a banquet. It is time to celebrate. Now later that day, the older brother arrives from a long day working in the field to discover his long lost loser of a brother has come home and they're celebrating. And he gets angry. And think about it. He's been faithful to his father all of these years. He never got a party like this. And then this disgrace of a family member comes home and they're going to celebrate him? It's disgusting. He refuses to join the banquet. So the father finds the older brother outside and he says, Son, you are already in our family. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate your brother because he was lost. And now he's found. He was dead. But now he's alive. Um, So in that story, I put together that there are three characters. There's two sons and a father. Yes? We can all agree on that? So there is the father, uh, the one who gives without thinking. He gives everything he needs, to, or everything his son needs. There's the second son who uh, asks for what he is, thinks he's deserving of, takes it, leaves, and squanders it. And there's a second son, by all accounts, or by this account, did what was right. He probably said what he should have said. He probably stayed where he should have stayed, okay? But I want to break down those three different characters, because I think... There's a message in each of them, and something potentially that we have all played. So I've named the first son the easiest one. And why is it the easiest one? Because I think we're all easy and quick to take what we think is ours. Right? It's easy to be selfish. It's easy to take what we think is ours. It's easy to take more than we need or take more than what we're entitled to. It's easy and natural to point uh, and to think about what's best for ourselves ahead of others. It's human nature to protect our own experience before someone else's. And I think there's lots of times where I have taken more than I should. And I think we can all think of times where we've taken more than we should. It's easy to forget that the decisions we make can have an impact on those that we chose to not include in those decisions. Yes? Right on. Okay. There's the common one. And why do I call that the first, second son, sorry, the common one? Uh, Because I think that while the first son is easy, this is the one we play the most often. And this is the one where we point fingers. 
and we say, oh, but hang on a second, what, th that person did something that I don't think is right. And the most direct example that I can think of when brainstorming with my wife is the amount of time that I spend on Instagram. I spend hours and hours scrolling through Instagram only to stop on posts to compare myself to those people. And often, it is to compare myself to think about how much better I am than the other person. Being a new parent, it's really easy to be told lots of things that you should or should not do. And I am guilty of that in whispering in my own tiny mind that when people share things with me, my instinct is to say rude things to them if I don't naturally align with what it is that they're telling me. Yes? By a shake of heads, have we all felt that way? It's the most common. I think it's quick and easy and often that we remind those around us of the wrongdoing that they have done uh, while explicitly eliminating the things we've done wrong, right? And same as that, the second son is easy and quick to point the finger, he forgets what he's not doing. So we're quick to judge someone in their lows, and I think that video puts it nice. Um, that son and us too, we're also not quick enough to celebrate other people's wins. Right? We point the finger and put people down enough that we forget to also celebrate them when they are winning. Right? So it's common to think that someone doesn't deserve something, and when they get it, that we think we're more deserving instead. Yes? The third character. I call this one the hardest one. It's the father. Why is it the hardest? Because it's hard to forgive somebody. It's hard to embrace someone that we feel has wronged us or that we think has taken advantage of us. It's terribly difficult to allow someone back in who we think did us wrong. It's hard to want to throw a party for someone like that. It's hardest because it's not easy and it's uncommon. It's hardest because it means that we have to welcome in those who likely in the past have played that first son or that second son. I believe that that father in the story is a depiction of Christ, of Jesus. It's the same as Jesus, and we all try to be more like that. I'm going to make a blanket statement. We're all here this morning. I'm assuming our goal in life is to strive to be more like Jesus in his characters, his behaviors, his actions. Yes? I keep saying yes because I don't want to say amen, you know? <laughs> and so I think the father in this story, and like Jesus, is able to do that. They're able to forgive and throw that party and celebrate because they have the deepest sense of what love is. And that was the first keynote where that song played, you know, what is love? Anyways. Um, I uh, did a little bit of research on <laughs> what love is, and I came up with uh, maybe a more unique definition, but I think the father in this story and Jesus, uh, they exemplify what I call tennis love, and that's like, I, I'm, I'm gonna coin that, I'm waiting for the paperwork. Um, it will be copywritten. But what I mean by this is for anybody who's watched tennis or played tennis, there's a term in tennis that represents a score of zero, which is love. Okay? And I did a little bit of research as to why in tennis a score of zero is called love. And there's, there's one of two, two uh, uh, explanations. One being that it's actually over the years a mispronunciation of the French word for egg, luf. And so people have said it so uh, wrong for so long that it's been, it's just love. So I guess that's like, yeah, funny, awesome. Doesn't really fit what I'm talking about. So I choose to believe that it's, it's for the other reason. Uh, and the other reason is that it's called love because even at a score of zero, people love the game enough 
that they play it just because they love it. For the love of the game, they're playing tennis, regardless of score. Okay? I align that. I'm more of a golfer, and so I would love to have an even score. But tennis is making more sense. So I think that's what, in the parable of the Father and what, what Jesus, they have for us. They have a love that resets to zero. They have a love that resets for the easiest one. They have a love that resets for the common one. And they have a love that resets for everybody in between. And it's there simply because they can. For the love of the game, if you, if you so want to say, so to speak. They give love no matter the score, and it will always be reset to zero. So the father in the parable doesn't throw a party because his son is returning for the first time. He's throwing a party because his son has returned. And at no point does he put a stipulation on it to say, hey, but it's only this summer, and when you wrong me next summer, I'm only going to give you, like, the second best ring or the second best cloak. That wasn't a stipulation, right? He throws the biggest party he can because he wants to celebrate the return. He opens up with wide arms and embraces that lost son simply because of the love of the game. Simply because he knows nothing but love. He makes an effort at that point also to include the second son, the one who is judgmental of the other. And he reminds him that he's celebrating him because he's happy for the return, not because of what he has chosen to do prior to that. Yes? So, we have an understanding of what I call tennis love, okay? A love that resets to zero. I want to go back to that chapter in Ephesians, but I'm going to look at it in a different version. And I'm going to forewarn anybody. Um, I know that the message isn't everybody's cup of tea, um, but I'm here as a five-year, three-year Bible college graduate, and I'm going to allow it. So I'm going to read that same passage. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father, who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in, with all followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. So nothing crazy in there other than some guy decided that's what it said, okay? So when I read this, there are a couple of things that jump out me jump out at me rather um, a little bit differently than that first reading uh, I shared earlier this morning. The first one is open the door and invite him in. And the second is reach out and experience the breadth. Now, in the interest of making my point, I've combined those two things. As you open the door and invite him in, reach out, and experience the breadth. I like this because it puts a little bit of ownership on us. It asks us to do something. We have to open that door, and we have to invite him in. And if I go back to the father, the hardest one, that's exactly what he did. He opened the door, and he invited him in. Yes? Amen? Uh -huh. 
And I think in order for us to experience how wide God's love is, we have to maybe put on that hardest one. We maybe have to be that father who opens the door and asks someone in. To fully experience and to reach out, you have to have someone walk past you first. Right? So, it reminds me that when playing the part of the son who was judgmental or the son who was unwelcoming, that we have to reach out and experience that love or we might rest in that judgment. It's our responsibility to reach out and experience the embrace and the breadth of what that love is in order for us to exemplify that for other people. And so it brings me to this thought. There are times where each of us is going to choose to be the easiest son. There will be times where we choose to be the most common son. But there will be lots of times where we should choose to be the hardest one. And so how wide is God's love? Uh, Wide enough the next time you're being selfish because it's easy or being judgmental because it's common, he's already there ready to reset your score to zero and love you simply because he can. He's there waiting to include you in the embrace of which he has already welcomed those who you were selfish to or judgmental of. And so I hope you can find comfort in the fact that even when you are selfish and judgmental, when you're quick to write someone off or slow to forgive someone, when you are too concerned with yourself or when you forget about others, he is right there. Within arm's reach, waiting to be experienced. He's waiting there with open arms, just like the father of the two sons, ready to throw us a party, reset the score, and love because he can. Thank you. Thanks, Jonathan. I love how last week there was this theme running through Kathleen's sermon too, and today I heard it in Jonathan's as well, that we actually experience God's love in relationship, right? That this is, I love that idea of us widening our arms to welcome in, to invite in, and in that we experience God's love too. It's beautiful. Thank you.